Well, in case you missed it, and I'm sure you probably did, four years ago was the 100-year anniversary of the I Want You for the U.S. Army poster. (laughs) How many of you had a party that day? Just curious, any of you? No parties that day. That's the picture, the poster of Uncle Sam pointing at you. And even if you're young, I'm sure you've probably seen it. If you haven't, Google it. Uh, For what it set out to accomplish, it was an effective campaign. It was used to recruit soldiers for World War I and World War II, both time periods when the world seemed to be in complete chaos, calling people to serve the country that they loved. Today, my prayer is that God will call all of us to the service of the kingdom which true followers of Jesus love. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, and if you're not, we're glad you're here, that you would hear God's initial call to that kingdom. We live in very uncertain times. And so today we return to our series called Venturing into the Unknown. And the title of our message is, The World Needs You Right Now. Our world, our nation, our state, Our little corner of the world needs you, needs me right now. We left off about a month ago, prior to Christmas, with Abraham, who's about 100, and his wife Sarah is 90. They wanted to have a son, but they couldn't have one. And now we find them, they were living in a tent. That's not great conditions, living there in a tent all the time. And, uh, and a strange thing happened to them. As they're living in this tent in this strange land where they had left their comfy home to go live in this place called the Promised Land, they're probably thinking some promise. Suddenly, three visitors come upon Abraham. We know as we go throughout the passage, and we'll see it more clearly next week, that it is, one of them is the Lord taking on the form of a man, as he does sometimes in the Old Testament, and two angels, and they approach Abraham, and Abraham, being a good host, invites them to stay and eat. In the course of the conversation, the Lord says to Abraham, hey, you know the son I promised you? I'll be back in about a year, and you're going to have that child Sarah's wife laughs. She's like, I'm too old. And you know, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. The Lord will deliver as he promised. You know, for them, it had been about 25 years of waiting and tremendous uncertainty as they had been traipsing all around their area and finally settled into this land, the land of the Canaanites, people who didn't like them uh, at all. And, and the next section 
shows us how the years of waiting and uncertainty actually built Abraham's faith. You know, uncertainty will do that to you. It will either build your faith or it will kind of you know, take apart your faith if you allow it to. And so he was not becoming weaker. He was becoming stronger. And right now, to be perfectly honest with, with all of you, with myself, the world needs our stability, not our stupidity. The world needs us to see us as people of faith, people of confidence in our God, people of hope, not people of arguing about stupid things. And so we have to be really on our guard because the news is going to portray all the stupid Christians they can find. But yet people at ground level that we work with, that we live with, they're watching us at this time. Now, I'm not, trying to, I'm not asking you to pretend. I'm saying that if we are doing the, generally the spiritual disciplines, doesn't mean we don't have our moments, but those are the ways that God strengthens us. You're doing it right now. You're, you're listening. Well, not really listening to me, Gab, but soon you'll be listening to the Word of God. And these are the things that God uses to grow us stronger. However, we often make the huge mistake of thinking that God builds our faith just for ourselves, not realizing that while that is a component of it, he is also building our faith for the world around us. He is building our faith for others. You wonder sometimes, my friends don't seem to want to hear about my faith. They want to see it work. They, don't want, they might not, they'll, they'll, they'll hear about it after they see it working. And so today we're going to look at three different things about why our world needs us through the life of Abraham because a very wicked city by the name of Sodom needed him. We'll see next week he couldn't save them, but he sure tried. So if you're taking notes, three rather long points. Number one, the world needs your righteousness and your involvement. And it needs it when? It needs it now. Look at verse 16. Then the men rose from there and looked toward or looked down or looked over Sodom. And Abraham, notice this, went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, now I kind of think this is one of those things, you know, when people are just walking and they're, and they're talking about you like you're not there. <laughs> so the Lord's talking to the angels. Abraham's kind of traipsing along with them. I don't know for sure, but it, that's the way it pictures in my mind. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Another version says, should I hide from him what I'm about to do? I mean, Abraham is God's friend. Since Abraham shall surely, notice he says to the angels, it's going to happen. It's not like maybe. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, 
if, if that sounds familiar to you, that we covered that in chapter 12, verse 3. He shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Some of your versions say blessed through him, and ultimately through his family line, the Israelites going down to the Lord Jesus Christ. So some people would say, well, Abraham was a good host. He fed them, the visitors came, he fed them, and now he's taking them, you know, at least to the edge of his property to, to see them off to say goodbye. I think it might be better to say that Abraham walked with God. Abraham walked with God. And so as the Lord's leaving, he's walking with him, and they are walking towards Sodom. They're walking towards, the Lord and these two angels are walking towards the unbelieving world. They're walking towards what we might call a wicked city. I wonder when through, what went through Abraham's mind. Like of all the directions they could go, why are they going towards that place? Why are they, why are they maybe even talking about that place? Back in chapter 14, when the wicked kings came and, and, and captured Lot in the city of Sodom, if you recall, Abraham had went and rescued them, his nephew Lot seemingly losing his faith. But as they're walking, the Lord says, should I, should I let Abraham know what my plans are for the future? And again, chapter 12, verse 3, let us know that Abraham's great privilege was for him, but also more so for his children, ultimately through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you may wonder, are you a child of Abraham? Well, after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, the apostle Paul wrote, these words in Galatians 7 and 8, just as Abraham believed God, that's Genesis 15, 6, and it was accounted to him for or as righteousness, that's the gospel. Abraham believed God, not believed in God. Big difference. People, if you go out and you ask people who believe in God, you'll get a huge yes. But if you ask people, do you believe what God says? Well, that's a very different story. Do you trust what God says? Very different story. But Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So this is the gospel thousands of years before Jesus comes. Verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, know that only those who are of faith, only those who've put their trust in Jesus, are the sons of Abraham, sons and daughters of Abraham. So only the people who put their trust in Jesus are the heaven-bound people of God. Now, some of you would go, no, I don't believe that. You believe God, you believe in God, you don't believe God. That's what God says. But, but as, we, as we said before, with great privilege comes great responsibility. Verse 19 says, For I have known him. This is the Lord in, in human form talking. For I have known him. Some versions say, I have chosen him. In other words, 
I have made him my friend, and I've chosen him to be a blessing to the nations and to the world in order that he, he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. In other words, that he's going to, I've chosen him to teach people about right behavior and right living that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. What has he spoken to him? To be a blessing to the nations and ultimately his promised son. So as they're walking, Abraham knows full well about what's going on in Sodom. He knows about the godless living that is going on there. We'll talk more about that, Lord willing, next week. Yet God reminds Abraham of why he chose Abraham. It's almost like he's saying, just forget about Sodom for a minute, Abraham. Think about why I chose you. I chose you for righteousness. I chose you because I am creating a new people. I am creating a different people. My dear Christian friend, do you, do you understand, really, seriously, do you understand that's a big reason of why you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Did you choose Jesus or did Jesus choose you? Yes. Yes. Both are true. Why did he choose you? Because he is creating new people. Not better people, new people. Different people. People who the world would say, what is up with those people? There's something about them. And notice, first came grace. God doesn't say, if you behave a certain way, then... I'll know you. Then I'll choose you. No. What came first was grace. I know Abraham. He's my friend. I have chosen Abraham. Not because Abraham was so great. We've seen him already be not so great. And we will see him be not so great again. This is this text, while it seems confusing, may be one of the greatest shining moments in his life, in anyone's life. However, it's very important. In our day and age, a lot of people believe in what's called cheap grace, that you just put your trust in Jesus and you go live however you want. It doesn't really matter because God is going to forgive you anyway. Is that really true? Well, that is saving grace, that is forgiving grace, but that is not transforming grace. So after God saves us or forgives us from the punishment from our sins, he then begins the process of sanctification, making us more like Jesus, and he does it via transforming grace. So after the grace of forgiveness, after the grace of salvation, after we obey, grace 
is accomplishing its goal. What's its goal? To make us more like Jesus. And what is also its goal? To create a new people. So if you just come to church, you pray a prayer, you invite Jesus into your heart, and then you go out and you live exactly the same way, what are your friends going to say about you? Same guy. Same guy. Now, I had one of those radical conversions, characteristic of the late 80s, and, and one of my friends said to me, same name, same address, same social security number, everything else different. <laughs> but, but there's still fine-tuning. Ask my wife if you don't believe me. Why is she laughing? <laughs> There's still fine-tuning. God is constantly doing in me and in all of us, but he is creating a new people, which includes the teaching of our children, who, like all of us, our children will have to transact with God for themselves. We can only teach them. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's very easy to get your kids to go along with Jesus when they're young. Not so easy when they go visit Sodom. Sorry, I meant college. Or now in the age of cell phones, when Sodom come visits them. Not that easy. Two terms that are here that are used to describe how the people of God are to live, you might want to underline in your Bible, very common Old Testament terms are keep the way of the Lord. In fact, they're in the top five or ten expressions. Keep the way of the Lord and do righteousness and justice. So we can safely assume that the people of Sodom were not doing those two things. The lifestyle of our world is in the way of Sodom, yet God is creating a people to live in the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, or as we like to say, to walk in the way of Jesus. But that is not just for our own eternal well-being, but this is the only way that Abraham and his sons and daughters, who we are if we've trusted in Jesus, it's really the only way we can bless the world is if we're walking in the way of Jesus. It's the only way we can bless them eternally. The good news of the gospel is if today you will turn to God, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and put your trust in Jesus, God will change your eternal destiny. He will help you change how you are living and he will do that by helping you to walk in the way of Jesus. Now, I know that today, over the, the hardness and difficulties of life, a lot of people have lost that vision. But when we lose that vision, walking in the way of Jesus for ourselves... It's important to understand that we've also lost it for our friends and our family and our co-workers and that world 
often sees that we have lost the vision to walk in the way of Jesus, they often see it that we've lost it before we see it, that we are on the downward slope. So as we come to verse 20, the Lord invites Abraham into another conversation from Abraham's righteous living and teaching his children and his people about righteous living to his involvement with the world, people who are not living that way. He says, verse 20, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. Some of your verses say their sin is extremely serious. Verse 21, he says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So God says, I've heard up in heaven an outcry from people who have been outcrying against the injustices of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, not thankful that God saved them from the wicked kings. They're going out there doing the same thing to other people. And God says, I'm going to go down to the place and I'm going to take a look for myself. Verse 22. Then the men turned away from there and went to Sodom, went towards Sodom. But now notice this, picture the scene. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. So now Abraham and God are just standing there face to face. Now, sometimes people say, oh, there's a contradiction in the Bible. No one has seen God and lived. It says it's okay when he's taken on certain forms. So he is inviting Abraham into the process, if you will. He is inviting Abraham to get involved. He's inviting Abraham to discuss the situation and to pray. But he's also going to lead Abraham to really what looks to us like a negotiation at the flea market, which is probably one of the greater theological places in the entirety of the Old Testament. Verse 20, the Lord says, I've heard about their sin. Then he says, well, I'm going to go take a look for myself. Now you might go, doesn't God know? Of course he knows. Of course he knows. But he's teaching Abraham. So Abraham can teach it to others. And I think the point is also an example for us. God does not overreact. Sometimes we hear about the wrath of God and we're thinking, oh, God's throwing a temper tantrum. There he goes, throwing stuff all over the house, breaking things. No, don't break that. Insurance won't cover it. It can't do that. No, God doesn't overreact. He doesn't just believe what one person says like we do without investigation into the facts. And how often people question God's judgment and actions, yet forgetting he knows all of the facts before he acts. And that's what's going on here. Again, Sodom had already been saved by God through Abraham when the evil kings invaded, but they had already forgotten what the Lord had done for them. It's possible the Lord is saying to Abraham, listen, man, you know what's going on, but you know what you're doing? You're avoiding it. 
Oh, that may have hurt some of us, right? We know what's going on, but we're avoiding the tough conversation maybe we need to have. We, we avoid it. That's a, that's, a real, that's a real look in the mirror, one for me, over last year. And so he says, you avoid it. It's too late. Now's the time for you to get involved. Now, if I could defend Abraham a little bit, I will say this, and this is a concept that's important to remember, that truly godly people are much more aware of their own sin than the sin of other people. You know the guy who's always walking around pointing out the sin of everybody else? Ungodly. As soon as you hear that, ungodly. Godly people are much more aware of their own sin, which makes them, at times, too lenient and gracious to a fault. They'll, They'll talk to God about their own sin a lot, but they won't talk too much to God about the sin of other people. And notice, who starts the conversation? The Lord. The Lord. The Lord starts with prayer. Basically, it's the two of them alone. That's what prayer is about. God's word and prayer. He says, okay, angels, take a walk, take a hike. Abraham and I need to spend some time together. We need to have some quiet time. And we need to talk about what's going on. And so the Lord starts him off with time alone. Why? To change Abraham's heart and to change our hearts towards the world. The fact is, is that God's blessing the people of earth often, and maybe even most often, comes through his people on earth as we walk in the way of Jesus. We've said it so many times before. So many of us can can track our, our coming to faith to one or two people who just blessed us. And, and God blesses people in the world through his people. Now let me ask you a question. Do you see Jesus here? He's in heaven. And the outcry from earth of the sin and injustice of earth reached heaven. And Jesus came. And he walked towards Sodom. He walked towards the United States. He walked toward the world. He walked towards you. He walked towards me. And he said, I'm going to get involved in the messiness of your life. Because that's the only way. That's the only way. Do you see here the incredible approachability of God, which scripture teaches is available to anyone who will put their trust in Jesus? We often say there there are many ways to Jesus, but there's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. Do, Do you see the certainty here in this situation? 
if you know what comes next. The, the certainty of being a man or woman of faith, that you are protected by God eternally versus the uncertainty of walking in the way of self. Well, that's number one. The world needs your righteousness. We are to live walk in the way of Jesus and teach others about it, and it needs our involvement. We need to get involved in the messiness of people. Number two, the world needs your Savior and your faith. And the world needs your Savior and your faith when? Now. Now. Specifically, your faith in the character of God. Verse 23. And Abraham, Abraham came near and said, now Abraham's getting up, he's kind of getting up in God's face a little here. Would you also destroy, some versions I love this say, most versions say this say, sweep away. I love that. Like God, would you like, just kind of sweep away like you do the dust. Would you also destroy or sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city, would you also destroy the place? Would you also sweep it away, God, and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? He says, hey, if there's 50 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you spare the place? Verse 25. Amazing verse. Amazing. Far be it from you. This is not in keeping with your character, we might say. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay or to kill the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous, you might want to underline this, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. You would never do that. You would never do that, God. I know that about you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, he, I know you. I know you. You always do the right thing. To be honest, of this entire text, this that we're going through this morning, this is where I had the most trouble. Because this is a whole message or two or three just in and of itself. And you're like, I don't get it. Just My mind just explodes sometimes when I start to really, it really happens with me when I put a pen in my hand and I start underlining things and I'm going, why would he say that? Why would he say that? Why would he say that? Abraham, right here, is pointing us to Jesus. He's standing in front of God. He's not only pointing us to Jesus to come, but he's, he's if you will, he is acting as Jesus. He, he is standing right in front of God, representing the righteous people of God. But he's also, he's also trying to save the wicked people of Sodom. Now, when you read the prophets, you will often hear them praying for the errant, the wayward Israelites. But you don't hear them praying for the wicked people that are oppressing God's people. It would only be Jesus who would say, love your enemy. And so he is praying for the 
for the righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's also saying, don't destroy the place. Now I'm going to open up a can of worms, but because of time, I'm going to close it quickly. In many cultures, if a family commits sin, the whole family suffers for it. The whole family pays for it. And not just the immediate family, it can go on for generations. This is what we call collective guilt. This is why we see a lot of times in the Bible there is the individual component of faith, but we see God judging nations. And sometimes when God judges a nation, innocent people are swept up in the judgment. So we call this collective guilt. Let me give you an example. Let's think Germany, World War II. Sometimes we say the expression was like, well, that's like Germany in World War II. Not everybody was guilty. There were godly people living there. There were people that didn't really know much of what was going on. There was kids. There was, not everybody was, was, was guilty. Yet, there was great consequences for the people living in Germany at that time. There was great consequences for their nation. Now, there's other examples throughout history that took place over a much longer period of time. So now I'm going to open the can of worms and I'm going to close it quickly. In our American individualistic culture, we hear that and what do we say? No way. No way. No way. I am not responsible for what other people in my family do. I'm not responsible for what other people in my church do. I'm not responsible for what other people in my community do or other people in my country do. I'm responsible for what I do. The whole rest of the world does not necessarily think like that. I won't be surprised if I get texts or emails from people of you who come from other cultures. A lot of people from, in our church are from other cultures. And they'll be like, yeah, my culture, that's the way it works. That's the way it works. Now, can of, worpen, can of worms open. Keep that in mind when people are talking to you about slavery and white privilege. That many cultures believe in collective guilt. And listen. I'm not saying you have to agree with them. But listen and don't feel the need to defend yourself. Just listen. This is our problem that we're having in America. No one is listening to anyone else. They're fighting and they're arguing about everything. And then the news channels are like, I wonder why our ratings are dipping. People are tired of it. They're tired of it. I don't know about you, I would much rather listen to a podcast for an hour than watch an hour of the news. Really. It's just a waste of an hour. I'm like, what was I doing? It was a waste of an hour. Okay? Can of worms closed. You see, 
what I think is happening here, it's possible it's happening here, and, you, and all dead Bible scholars caught this, we don't, is that understanding the idea of, of collective guilt, Abraham could be flipping it on God, saying this, Lord, if you would save a city, or if you would destroy a city because of the wicked, I understand that. You'll destroy the city of the wicked. I'm going to flip this one on you, God. Would you save it because of the righteous? I mean, doesn't that fit more of your character? Well, you, you, might, you might destroy it for collective guilt, but would you save it for some collective righteousness? See, Lord, they, he's saying, Lord, they need a savior. And if the righteousness, if your righteous people come to you in faith, in your character, will you save that place? You see, long before the cross and resurrection, Abraham believed in the gospel. He believed that even a small group of righteous people could be used by God to save many. I mean, what boldness. What boldness. He says, God, listen, are you going to sweep away righteous people with the unrighteous? Because what's Abraham's anchor? Abraham's anchor is this. Far be it from you. I know who you are. And his other anchor is, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? His anchor is the character of God. And when that is your anchor and my anchor, we will find that we will be much more stable in our life, and people will see it. They will see your stability. And you won't be walking around in fear all of the time. You'll have your moments. But you all of a sudden, you'll go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Far be it from you, Lord. I know you will do right. thousand plus years later, the Lord says this, Ezekiel 33, 11, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. After Jesus ascended into heaven, the apostle Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us or making his appeal. We implore you, we plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then that great gospel verse, verse 21, for he, God the Father, made him Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. He took our sins and put them on top of Jesus on the cross that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We become the righteousness of God in Jesus through faith and trust. How many of you were here and remember our studies in Jonah? Yeah. Jonah, Jonah probably should have remembered this. Some of us maybe need to remember this, to take a lesson from Abraham and say to God, far be it from you. I know what you are like, Lord. 
I know that you are a God who loves to save. That word spare can mean forgive, that you love to spare, that you love to forgive even the most ungodly people in this world from judgment. Now notice the middle of verse 25. Abraham is talking about the character of God. And he says, he says these words, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. If you do this, God, the righteous people that live there will be treated like the wicked. Is that, he's saying to God, is that right? And the answer to that question is, is no. But what's he doing? Again, he's flipping the principle on God. He's saying, if, God, what you're saying to me is that it's possible that the righteous can become as the wicked, then it's also possible that the wicked can become as the righteous. What's he doing? It's almost funny. He's preaching the gospel to God. <laughs> so what's the problem? Ungodly people, and Jesus and the apostles taught that apart from trusting Jesus Christ, we're all ungodly, are for the most part oblivious to the judgment of God. Even American Christians, they hate the judgment of God. They even sitting in church, they don't want to hear anything about it. Oh, no, 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 no. All you got to be is good. All you got to be is good. James 2.10 says this, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been guilty of it all. How many of you have ever told a lie? Yeah, just a few of you. The rest are just liars. That means, that means that you can't get into heaven without the righteousness of God. You failed right there. Right there. God's standard is perfection. Yet Abraham was, like Jesus, a friend of sinners. I mean, his, his nephew Lot lives there, but he's so compromised, he's not really making much of a difference. And the truth is, friends, that friends of God are also friends of sinners willing to share their Savior and their faith and their confidence in the character of God. Not join them in their wickedness, but be different. Well, from the world needs your righteousness and your involvement to the world needs your Savior and your faith, we come to number three. The world needs your compassion and your prayers. And when does it need it? Now. Verse 26, Abraham is praying. So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place, or I'll spare the whole place for their sakes. So God says, Okay, Abe, deal. I'll do it. Then Abraham answered and said, and again, it sounds like the flea market, but it's not. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, 
I, who am but dust and ashes, I know I'm nothing to talk to you about this stuff, God, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Now, Abraham has a very low view of himself in relation to God. Verse 28. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he, the Lord, said, If I find 45, I will not destroy it. And he, Abraham, spoke to God, or to him again, and said, Suppose there were 40 found there. So he just keeps lowering the number. He's not too confident how many godly people live there. So he, the Lord, said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he, Abraham, said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. I think he knows he's pushing the envelope. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he, the Lord, said, I will not if I find 30 there. And he, Abraham, said, Indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 shall be found there? So he, the Lord, said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, Abraham said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So Abraham is well aware of the situation in Sodom. We don't know whether, you know, people had just came from there and told him or he had been talking with Lot. He knows Lot's there. And so Abraham obviously has a heart for his family that's there for the falling away people of God that are there, for the people who don't are there that don't follow God. And he knows that they deserve judgment. But in this moment, he reminds me of Jesus. You know what it said of Jesus? When Jesus looked out over the city, it says he was moved with compassion because the people were like sheep without a shepherd. And his only hope is as the justice and mercy, and we'll talk some about this next week, Lord willing, as the justice and mercy of God hang in the balance, he wants to know from God, will the righteous shield the wicked? I mean, friend, did, did you ever think that while we're going around belly aching that, that, that our freedoms are being taken away from us or, or maybe it's going to be harder to preach the gospel in the days to come. Have you ever really thought that our faith may be the reason why God is sparing so many people around us? It may be us. And if that's true, that God is sparing certain places, he's sparing the United States because of our faith, that should, like Jesus, fill us with compassion, not arrogance. 
that should, like Jesus, like Abraham, fill us with prayer for people who don't know God. We're always praying for the people who know God. It should never fill, fill us with pride or arrogance. I mean, what a challenge this is to us, to who we include in our prayers. Not just what we pray for, but who we include. And that we not have the attitude of, well, I'm in. Come, Lord Jesus. It seems to me that Abraham was still hoping for Sodom. That the righteous among them could influence them for the kingdom of God. Man, I hope that gets birthed in us again. I hope that, that, that somehow the church in America just gets, gets birthed with just really hoping for the grace of God, the Spirit of God falling upon our nation. And, and you say, I can't see that happening. Let it start with us. Will all of us in this room, with all of us in other rooms, with all of you watching online, let it start with us. Don't worry about anybody else. Let it start with us. That we just say to God, we want to see it. We want to see it. I told you I was a radical late 80s convert. I thought that's the way it always was. Because this happened to so many people that I knew. I was in a new believers class. What happened to you? Oh, gambling, cocaine, prostitution. Oh, I was in the village people. One guy was in the village people, all right? All right if you don't know who that is, Google them, all right? I mean, it was like one guy was a, was a hit man. He was, a, he was a, that he collected debts for the mafia. And we're like, that's what we thought Christianity was. Man, you hear about Jesus? You say, hey, save me. I'm a sinner. And I'm different. It's not the way it always is. And some of us, man, we just really want to see God do it again. Do you want to see God do it again? Well, we're going to have to change who we pray for. And stop praying for just us all the time and ourselves and me, 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 me. He was hoping. It's amazing that he ends with 10 people. He says that 10 people are enough. That is the size of some of our community groups. That is the size of some of our serving teams. That you could sit there as a group of people and say, there's enough of us here to change our corner of the world. And to watch it like the apostles fan out from here. Just what could God do with a small group of people on fire for Jesus? Just a small group. So here's the challenge. Have you considered that our area needs you to walk in the way of Jesus and me, in the way of Jesus, in the power of the Spirit. We're not shouldering the load. We're just following him. Have you really thought about that? When you look at people and you think, oh, oh, look at those people. 
may that change to they need me because they need Jesus. And the only way they're going to hear about Jesus is from people like me. And i got to stop standing around waiting for everybody else to make a move. And i got to approach them with love and compassion. Because if not, if we don't do it, they're going to be left to themselves. So where does Abraham begin? God began by inviting Abraham into the conversation to prayer and and listen to him. Where does Abraham begin? By praying for God to be merciful. And can't you see how merciful God wants to be? He keeps lowering the number and lowering the number and lowering the number. And God doesn't go, you're pushing it, boy. No, God keeps going, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, Abraham, that's how much I want to forgive. Keep going lower, boy. I don't want to do that. I want to forgive. This is the first intercessory prayer in the Bible. You say, what's intercessory prayer? It's praying on behalf of others. And notice what it is. It's humble and it's persistent. It's humble and it's persistent. Next week, we'll see that if Abraham went any lower, let's say to one, he probably would have ended up with his nephew, Lot. The city could not depend on Lot and his righteousness, nor on Abraham. And in the same way, our area can't depend on us. It needs us to bring righteousness to them. You say, how does that happen? Well, notice he stops at 10. And I think God wants us to ask, why did he stop at 10 and ask this one question of God? And Abraham knew the answer. God, what if there was one? What if there was one who was perfectly righteous. Perfectly righteous. And his righteousness was so perfect that it would offer salvation to the whole city, to the whole world, to all the generations, all throughout time. Would you then save? What would God say? Yes, I would do that. I would do that. What if there was one who would perfectly represent us to God? What if there was one who would give us his righteousness? He has it, and he says, I will give it to you, and he will take our sin upon himself. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God, if there was one like that, would you save? Would you, would, you, would you do something with that? What if the judge of all the earth made that possible for you, friend? Would that be for you bad news? That you had to admit that you were a sinner and you needed help to get to heaven? 
Or would that be the best news you ever heard in your whole life? Because God did it in the person of Jesus Christ who lived, who walked a perfect life, lived in complete and total righteousness and died on the cross in your place for your sins and for my sins. And the good news of the gospel is when anyone, anyone, even the people from Sodom and Gomorrah, when anyone turns to God and puts their trust in Jesus, gives their lives and gives themselves to Jesus because Jesus gave his life for us. Now, Abraham's risking his life, standing there talking in front of God, but Jesus gave his life. His righteousness will be given to you and it will become yours. And if you do that, instead of being swept into judgment, you will be swept into the kingdom of God because of what Jesus has done for you. His righteousness given to you because of his life, his death, and his resurrection is enough for any sinner. It comes down to one question. Do you want it? That's all it comes down to. If yes, it can be yours today. If you are a follower of Jesus in all the confusion, our world needs you right now because the world needs Jesus right now. Even if right now you are completely unstable, understand this. Jesus is completely stable. He is the rock that you can firmly rest your feet upon May we be so confident in Jesus that we are so humble knowing that we are sinners and we, may we be so bold and not afraid, not obnoxious, but bold because like Abraham, we are a friend of Jesus and we are a son or a daughter of the king and we live in a world that desperately needs God's children right now let's stand and pray